Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza power! That's right, when super giant pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza? Pizza time. Welcome back to the Pixel Pizza Podcast. You just listened to the track on the peril of parrots. Of course, that is from the game of the same name. And we are here with its composer, who may not need an introduction, but uh, we have plenty to introduce, so I will give one anyway. He is an NYX award-winning composer with over a decade of game industry experience. He has worked on over 21 titles, including Star Dander, Aztec Ride, and A Ground. This is Chase Bethia. How are you doing, Chase? I'm doing good, Jared. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. No, yeah. Uh, so I like to start the show by asking, when in your life did you know you wanted to work in games? So it was sometime around, I think I want to say like 2008, 2009 and I had discovered I was playing God of War 3 and I was unlocking some of the things that you can like behind the scenes videos and art and I came across this interview with some composers and there were about several composers on the soundtrack and so they were showing the recording session of the strings and the orchestra being played and one of the composers had said that writing music for games was liberating and that you could do mostly anything you wanted. And that really resonated with me because I I wanted that so much with my, my music before. I didn't want to be put in a box. I didn't want it to be in just one style or be seen in one way. I wanted to be able to showcase the versatility that I I felt I had within me to exhibit. And so from there I had realized also through that interview, wait, you can write music for games? That's an actual job? That's a <laughs> career that you can do that? And it instantly clicked because for me, for several years, as I've been writing music, everyone had told me that my music just sound too, like it sounds like it should be in a video game. So I had listened to that for, for seven something years. And so I was thinking, well, I already have the sound. Now this is a career and I've already, I already play games. I'm literally unlocking this video right now. And so it was an epiphany marriage in my mind that came together. And so I decided to pursue that and really knew I was going to go back to school and learn everything because I knew the competition level for people that went to school to learn music theory and musicianship was very high. Sure. And to compete at that level, I knew I would have to start all over and work my way to the top the way that I envisioned it to be. What what would you say was like the biggest part of that learning curve? The musicianship was 
the biggest part. I retraining your ears. I had already played an instrument and was in choir. So I've had, I wasn't green to music, obviously, but to be at a college level and a collegiate level in that, in that respect and train your ear through not playing by ear, but to put things in theory form to know, okay, it's a perfect fifth. Okay. Well, that's a minor second, or that's a major minor ninth chord. And to conceptualize the terminology with what your ears are hearing and put them together. That was the biggest learning curve to overcome. But once through the practice and the dedication and the persistence and the perseverance, they, it started to definitely become easier. But it took several years to get to that level from, and I should also explain, musicianship from a classical form to a jazz form. So there were six levels that I went through from the first four being in classical to then semi-aleatoric, then transitioning musicianship five and six into jazz and hearing those type of inversion chords and other types of styles of chords, which did exist in classical music, but had different terminology mm. and diff semi different and voicings. So the voicings really made a difference, but the voicings also, because I had been trained by ear the majority of my life, all I had to do was just identify the terminology to what I already knew to orally. And were there a lot of other people in your program who were there to like get into game music specifically? There were not a lot. There were a few. And by the time I was in uni, uni I went to Moorport College first and got my degree and then transferred into the University of Cal State Northridge. And so when I got to and Moorport College, no one, there wasn't, there, there wasn't anyone that was interested in game music. It was just me. I was actually releasing soundtracks at that time before I finished community college there. I'd already been nominated in the industry by the time I got into uni. Wow. So I was already, I was working in the industry already. I had already was building a name for myself. I'd already shipped at least three or four or five games at that time. And so when I got there, people were asking me, how do you do it? How do you get in? What do you need to do? And so I was mostly the one to share with the few okay, this is what you need to do. This is kind of how I did it. It doesn't mean it's going to be your path, but this is this is what you need to do. This is the games you need to play. This is the music that I am familiar with. I remember one student had asked me, I think they were going on winter break, and he said, I want you to give me 50 recommendations of soundtracks. Go. And I was thinking, okay, I'll give you 50. And then I'm writing a blog about it because I thought it was really helpful to anyone else that might be interested. And so I came up with the 50 that they should definitely listen to if they wanted to do game music, mm -hmm. at least from my selection, my curation. Well, what were the top five? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we could say 50. The top five off the top of my head, I know it was Batman Arkham City. Mm -hmm. I know it was Beyond Oasis, Turok yeah. Battle of the Binosaurs, Ridge Racer R4. Oh, Ridge Racer is such good music. Yes. And I'm going to blank on that. Oh, there it is. Lufia 2. Oh, Rise of yeah. the Sinatrals, I think. Yeah. And I wrote 50. I should be remembering, should be rattling 10 off easily. <laughs> <laughs> no. We love chiptune here. That's like majority of what we play on the show. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. I, 
I've done, I just actually was doing, I just finished scoring a game for the CPC Amstrad. Do you know Whoa. that? Do you know that? I do. Really? I You're mean, one of the few. <laughs> I mean, like vaguely, like I didn't experience it. I know that was, that was bigger in the UK. Is, is that where you're from originally? I not originally from there. I was born and raised in Chicago. My, my dialect is because I actually am through DNA 10% British, but my mom was raised in the UK, even though our um... family's from Barbados, my mom's side. But so my, I have a European upbringing. So when I speak to my mom, mostly daily, I, my dialect is usually coming out and that but yeah i had an upbringing because my mom was in the raised in the uk and so i was brought up in the european form speaking as oh, well cool yeah yeah i could hear it but i wasn't sure <laughs> yeah it's like a hybrid type of accent yeah it's really interesting uh so one of the things i was curious about was on your website you listed that you do adaptive composition yes and i was curious what what is that and what does it look like so adaptive composition, also known as interactive composition, also known as dynamic composition, it just means that the music is conforming to mechanics within the game. It's not just a loop from start to finish. It is a small loop, but it's a loop that will transform based on what the player is doing and progressing through in terms of maybe the story or the area or in combat or whatever mechanic that we as the designers in game development decide it to be. Mm. One of the one of the best examples I can give is Peggle 2. And another one is Batman Arkham City. So for the combat, that music elevates in terms of when you're doing really well and when you're not. And in Peggle 2, when you're solving the puzzles and you're doing really well, it's elevating or it's sustaining and depend and and how it really just transforms and grows over the course of the gameplay. Awesome. Yeah. I, I really like dynamic music in games. I mean, usually in my experience, when I've like pinpointed it and identified it, it's like when you go into a different area, like I love in Banjo Kazooie. When you hear the yes. song like in the overall and then you swim underwater and it's a different version of that same song seamlessly. Exactly. Exactly. The typical example is area type of because that was the, the earliest type of dynamic transition change. Mm -hmm. Monkey Island kind of did the same thing. Oh, yeah. And they were actually the, the earliest pioneers of that type of into music integration implementation, which is what spawned a lot of different other people to kind of go forward. But the earlier pioneers of that of one area for that because of the system they created to make that happen. And it's supposed to be seamless. So it's not supposed to feel jarring whatsoever. It just, it just really gels together. Yeah. It's, and I, I mean, I hadn't really heard of it in the context of like, like the players like achievements and skill and how they're doing in the game. I think that's such yeah. a, a cool way of approaching it. Mario Odyssey does a fantastic job of that, actually. Oh, does I think it? it's, yeah, Mario Odyssey is I th one of those pinnacle examples of the newer, since it's on, a, I would say, like a newer, newer type of console, but definitely up there to put in the, in terms of the AAA stats, Mario Odyssey does it fantastically well. 
Oh, was what like what parts in in there? I don't remember. If I rec- I haven't played the game, but I've seen gameplay while watching the gameplay. I I picked up on from when you're in a world and you're transitioning through. I think it's New Donk City. Yeah, I think that might be. So if you're on the the electric wire, let's just call it that, the electric oh. pole. And when you get on that, you listen to how it transitions from when you before you're on and then while you're on it and then off of it. It's just from that example alone, it's just really masterful in terms of how they did it. Yeah, now I remember that. It's been like five years since I played that game, but I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. You can hear the how they've kind of scaled in the notes and fits within the composition. It's not, it, it's just, like I said, that's a mechanic that aligns to it being adaptive versus it just being like a world area thing where from you transferring maybe in from a desert into the city, literally a mechanic that lines when you're hopping onto that wire, your, your heart, your hat is transformed or you're sliding along. And then it's while you're sliding along, those musical notes are happening and then you're off. And then it's back to a specific type of, whatever arrangement that goes along with the piece. Yeah, I remember now also I watched, uh, it was like a behind the scenes thing for the Killer Instinct reboot. Yes, that's another, that's another example. such a genius. Yes, McGordon. Yes, thank you. See, Combat, that was 2016 Killer Instinct. Yes. That is it. That was brilliant. Brilliant way of doing the adaptive composition when I remember that in McGordon. Yeah, Mick Gordon's phenomenal. Yeah, and he did Doom and Doom Eternal in those. Yes, yes, he did. Doing it too. Yep, got to meet Mick. Mick's very nice. Oh, remember, I remember attending that talk at GDC when he talked about the Killing Instinct. He was one of the best, one of the best presentations I've seen to date. Still, and when I give presentations, I try to. I'm not him, so I can only do it. But at the level of the caliber of the content that you that you put forth is really something that. I find inspirational that I've used since then, since seeing that those, those type of talks. Totally. And I mean, I was going to ask this later, but I think now is certainly a good time because it's relevant is that you have spoken at so many different conferences and, you know, smaller things all the way up to GDC. And like, what would you say you've learned from, you know, as far as communicating your ideas and speaking to an audience when you do those things? So during the, what I've learned is that while I'm actually writing the music for the game, and then that's one, that's one step. And then if I have my own design that I bring to the game design, which turns into adaptive dynamic or interactive composition, that is something that people really find fascinating. And I need to, it needs to be documented during the process along with writing. So it's almost a two-part job that I'm doing because to once it's shifted and I have to go back, it's hard to recall the moments of excitement and recall the things that I learned to re- say, oh, this happened because this. It's almost, it's not like riding a bike. It's almost like doing some a, upper level tier of arithmetic. So maybe like algebra two or trigonometry, you have to retrain yourself thinking, okay, what were the formulas again? Okay, how did I do quadratic formula? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, it's kind of on that level to do these presentations because once I present it, I'm not trying to get too technical. I know that the people who are attending are interested to and knowing that a level that they need to level be a level at, but I'm not trying to dive into the audio programming nuts and bolts. I want it to be fun. I want it to be direct and I want it to be clear 
about what I was able to do, why I did it, and what made it so cool to do in the first place. So it's more about like telling your own story and experience with it versus just a sort of tutorial. Yeah, I don't, I'm not trying to do tutorial or it's really just sharing the experience of, hey, I thought this was cool. This is why I thought it was cool. And I really thought it was cool because of this. And I had fun doing it because of this. And yeah, just sharing the experience and the story overall, I think is what people really, I think, appreciate. Awesome. Yeah. Were there ever any times where like, somebody came up to you after and said, oh, this totally opened things up for me? Recently, I've since I've given talks, I've been getting, some of them have, the majority of them were online since the pandemic, sure. but since I've been doing them more in person, but I would have to say the most recent talk that I did was from the one at, one of them at GDC, because I gave three at GDC this year, Whoa. but the, <laughs> I know, the Hunting for Hits Temple Slaying Monsters in Harmony was related to the game that I shipped called Quest Like Pocket. And I centered it around combat and why I did what I did. And the that talk was the talk that I got a lot of great feedback for. People really enjoyed it. People really loved it a lot and came up to me and asked me questions. And that felt good because that was the goal of the presentations is to, to inspire and to have the dialogue between, right? Because it's just me and I'm thinking about it and I have the, um, and I'm thinking, and I'm conversing with the team to an right. extent as well. Or in this case, uh, Glenn Henry from Sprite Wrench, but it's just the two of us. So to have that external of saying, hey, this is why I did it. I thought this was cool. And then so to say, hey, I really actually enjoyed this because these rhythms really got me excited here. Or how did you do the implementation? Because we're working on this and we got that there. And so now I get to finally nerd out in a way, because now I know it's not just me and my own world. If there's other people that are receiving it in, in a different perspective and enjoying it. Yeah, that's it's great to get that validation. Yeah. Uh, so when you're working with a client and you're discussing with them, like you're saying, what do you, how do you sort of, uh, Get, best get a sense of like what questions would you ask or something best get a sense of the tone and the style that they're looking for so unless they they typically kind of know what they want but it's not typically always organized so what i do is i create an audio asset list sheet and i say hey put all these reference links or adjectives and words you're feeling onto this sheet and then we'll go from there to see how what it feels like to do what we we're going what direction we're going to go with and go forward with i usually they usually typically have a game design document if not they typically have like a vertical slice if they have the vertical slice i'm semi-circumventing besides the references i'll listen to them after but i like to just play the game because then i can start to internally hear within my mind what the pieces what the music should be like because it's kind of like the game is talking to me and i can tell okay this is this may go this way or this sound palette for these instruments may evoke these emotions or oh i think that this design of this mechanic will be cool if we do this and i'm always thinking obviously of things that i haven't done before that i've always wanted to do if that comes about but really it's just servicing the game and so if I have all three, the maybe the art, maybe the game design, those reference things, I put the audio list together, audio asset list together. And then so I 
come back to the client and I say, okay, this is what we got. What do you think? This is what I was thinking. And just having that, that dialogue between the two to say, this is the direction we're going to go. And usually, typically, the majority of the time, they're, they're on board. I mean, they, they come to me, they trust me, they, they figure I'm the expert. And so I, I just know. But it's, it's through my experience that I'm able to even have those type of instincts and be perspicacious of knowing where it's going to be going and what to bring to the table with mm. the design and the the games that I've played from my childhood, mid-adulthood into now. Is there sort of like an audio mood board you create? Not not exactly. It's mostly I mean the mood board will come into when I actually need to open the music software. Mm. And then I'm picking out the instruments that I I'm feeling the rule will typically work, but even that evolves over the course of the production as well. And that seems to happen for almost any game I do thus far. It happened for on the peril of the parrots. It definitely happened for a ground. I think even happened for, I can escape. I can't escape darkness. So that, and that's fine because that's what game development I believe is about too. Like there's, there's small scope, there's, there's scope creep. I don't typically have scope creep within writing music. I usually know when the limit is and what I want to do with and what I don't want to do with. So, but the the evolution that comes about as it grows and manifests into its own art form is really beautiful. And I think this is what also creates great art for people to enjoy when they're playing the game. Absolutely. It's so cool to see it grow and change over time. Yeah. So you said, you know, you're often thinking about things or techniques you haven't done, but you still want to do. What are like, what is like your bucket list right now of of things you really want to try in your next project or projects in the future? I think what's definitely come to mind right now is I'm really interested in some reverse techniques. And what I mean by that is just reverse mechanics and reversing sound and seeing what comes from that. I'm just... It's been it's been ruminating in my mind ever so slightly, but I haven't there hasn't been a reason to do it right now. And but I it's either because obviously the opportunity hasn't presented itself or I haven't enacted the opportunity to be. No, that that seems like it could be really cool if it's combined with the right mechanic or situation within the game. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say actually maybe another I'm thinking about as I was, I was teased. I've been wanting to do a third horror game for a while now. And I've Ooh. been, I've, because I'm, I'm really good at those sounds and doing those textures and really making the player feel quite uneasy. And it's fun for me to, it's the most experimental thing I can get into because it, it's not, it's not, I don't want to seize that word. It's not critiqued at a higher level of, okay, well, this genre should be this and it should be that, or I'm not really sure what's going on here when the player doesn't, or the listener doesn't have to think too much about what is and what isn't and all these the subjective things. They can just be absorbed by sound. And so when you put that in context of 
surviving or horror, you're not critiquing, oh, I think that anvil should be at least 20 decibels more, or <laughs> these frequencies should be within the 500 hertz range. <laughs> like, we're not doing that. So I can use anything I want to do, however I want to do it, and you will absorb it as it is and just be in, obviously, it will work in context or it won't. Right, because, yeah, horror music is, it's, uh, it's not like it's diegetic, but it's atmospheric. It's part of the world that you are in. Right. So. Right. It's more yeah, of a so, character unto itself than just a backing track. Exactly. So, yeah, that I was, like I said, I was teased. I was working with the developer. We, it was in a Silent Hill type form. Mm. I think the project was called Room L. And the premise behind it, and I don't think it minds me sharing, but the premise behind it was that you were stuck in this room, but you didn't know why. And you're hearing different audio clips within the room that lead up to why you know you're there. Mm. And it turns out that you're in purgatory from a car crash. Ooh. So that's it. It's really simple, but it's so effective. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I, I already wrote the track. I was so excited. And I had this, I, I just had this vision of what it was going to be and how it was going to end up turning. Now, I don't know, maybe the game will end up being made by this, the developer still. But if, if not, at least I know I wrote my best music for that, for that little demo. Does that sting a little bit when you have something you're super proud of, but then it doesn't see the light of day? Sometimes, but I've been in the experience now, whereas in I'm able to revamp music and it be for something that's better and something oh. that does see the light of day. So before it was all oh, that I would think it's married or attached to that type of project. And it's only for that, but that's not the case. The things can be remixed. Things can be rearranged. And there you go. In fact, Questlight Pocket's main theme was supposed to be, oh, I think it's supposed to be for a different game, for a different mm. game developer. And we never went forward with that project yet i'm not sure if that if we'll come around i never know but that piece was written several years ago i revamped it i quit and then i got feedback from the developer and we worked we worked it through i even hired a trombonist that play on it and boom that's the theme and it, I love the piece all from the, from the beginning, but I had showcased and said, I think this will work for this. And then they said, yeah, I think it like that. We just need to change the beginning, like I said. And then there we go. And then and then I moved into the combat parts for Questlight Pocket, which don't actually use a the theme, but that's for that's on purpose for specific reasons. Mm. That's that's really cool. So I think now is probably a good time for us to go to our musical break for the episode. We're going to be hearing another track from Chase. And that is called Neural Network. So enjoy that. And we'll be back with you shortly. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back to the Pixel Pizza Podcast. You just listened to Neural Network by Chase Bethia, who is also our guest today. And uh, my next question was, do you ever feel any sense of like tonal whiplash when you go from project to project? And they're very different games. Yeah, definitely. I was feeling that the past year I went from what projects was I doing? So I'm scoring at one point I was scoring at least five projects. I was scoring a game called Windrush, which is dealing with that movement that came from the the Caribbean to the UK and the the like the 50s, 60s era of Calypso and but also hope and hopelessness at the same time. Then I was scoring on the Pearl Parrots, which is Bossa Nova, right. but pulling from 60s into a 20 and then f- figuring out how to pull it into this 21st century sound with my signature sound on top. Then I was scoring a ground zero, which is the follow up to a ground. So which is not categorizable in terms of any type of genre music whatsoever. <laughs> it's just whatever fits the game to keep you within that survival crafting building simulations with the story on top so and but with a ground a ground zero it's 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 not the same sound palette so it's most it's a different sound palette of electronic hybrid semi-live-ish instrumentation but like i said long play and dynamic music on top of that and then Star Dander School for Witches, which is this folk music hybrid with electronic, but like I said, a folk, t- small folk town feeling. It's it's sci-fi. You're dealing with witches, and fairies, and fays, and all these other things. So you've got sorry, not sci-fi, fantasy folk mm-hmm. hybrid. That's really what that is. And then going back to the CPC Amstrad, which is writing music for a game that was like Minesweeper. Now, I don't remember. I grew up with Minesweeper. I don't remember music for that, but now I grew yeah, up with music for this Minesweeper <laughs> music and come up with that off of the off of my own, Ooh. off of my mind. There's, there's not really any references. Just make something that I think the developer is going to like and that works with Minesweeper <laughs> that never existed before. So something that you're, you're really kind of creating history in your own way so five different projects so whiplash yes of of mental gymnastics of music definitely happened this past six months <laughs> yeah i can imagine that's so varied yeah it but it was it was it was good to go through the challenge i grew i i'm not done i still got starting started a music to finish i still got a ground zero music to finish i've wrapped up at least the the mind clone type game it's called rolling goes demonine and i wrote at least the demo for wood rush wrote the demo music for that so that that got accomplished and then we shipped on the peril of the parrots so one is down two are down (laughs) four the other three are 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 still in in progress great yeah one at a time for sure yeah uh And would you say that, you know, in your decade plus working on this stuff that the needs or kind of the trends in game music have changed? 
yes and no. I think that you're still stagnant within, and it could be because of the the pioneers that people grew up with are still getting the accolades that they got 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. That's something I want. However, it's unless you unless you surpass a certain amount of notoriety based on how well the game does, you don't really get to that, that level. So mm-hmm. if you never if no one ever pays attention to beyond what is already showcased continuously, then you're then those people are always going to con- compare and emulate what they already see versus the people who probably could be entering into the fold based on semi less popularity, right? Not being as showcased. So it's, if you have the same type of, I'm just going to use this for example, if orchestral music is permeating the video game world with new with, with games that are paired to it, it's like, it's okay, this game shipped and it's got an orchestral score. And this game shipped, it's got an orchestral score. And mm-hmm. this game shipped and it's got an orchestral score. And, there, and obviously marketing money's behind it, it's thrown in your face, you see it all the time, or it's this type of electronic score. Then you're only going to see and hear that type of music over and over. And then the people who want to emulate that are going to want that type of music because they think it's popular. Versus if you have an eclectic or you have a myriad and a nice versatile bunch of different styles or an amalgamation of styles even then you're and then it's showcased on on that level too then you're starting to think oh i didn't know i could do that right because that's that's it's really such a show me industry you gotta show it to be known that you can do it versus yeah. you typically ironically as creative as we are if we think we could do it we will and we do but if it's not shown then nobody knows and if it's not shown at that higher level or because of money and like i said promotion and stuff then nobody nobody knows it's just that's just how it works so unfortunately it's it's a again i guess like awards do this right like if this one game won seven awards across several different award organizations then you only think well i think i'm going to be able to write what is it called chant music or something right <laughs> i'm trying to be very careful with not isolating specific titles sure so, as i'm speaking so i just mostly pick up on the clues of obviously things we know and we see but yeah i if i don't hear too much of the newer stuff that that's really where it comes down for my writing is that i have like this whole don draper from Mad Men approach if he says in that show, if you don't like the conversation, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. Hmm. And so I flipped it to say, if you don't like what's being heard, write something new. Uh, yeah, I feel like I can't really think of any examples of games that are not famous where the soundtrack is famous. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, too. And it's I remember having this conversation a long time ago when he used to be a host on a different game audio podcast. And 
I've been trying to change that. I think it may start to be happening, but it's it's it just kind of depends. But it's it's really hard, right? Yeah. But I'm okay with that too at this point. Before I was thinking, I'm gonna change it, it's gonna be possible, but sometimes I don't really need to. Sometimes things just need to happen as they as they need to formulate and be on their own. The only thing that I think was possible to be close to that was near Gestalt or near Replicant, depending on which region uh, you were in. That's one of my and favorite the, games ever. Mine too. I haven't finished near Gestalt. I'm that's thinking just today. I'm thinking I'm going to finish that game. I want to play oh, it on stream. I want to do it. I know I will, and I can't. I wait. think Gestalt is the better version, maybe because I played it first. But I I know most people <laughs> disagree. <laughs> I I became enamored with that. So you obviously know the story of the development then, yeah? Uh I mean mostly yeah, I went to the GD GDC talk about it with Yoko Taro. Oh, okay. So the soundtrack was created first before even the game was designed. Right. That is no but now in in my case how I discovered it I actually discovered the soundtrack before I found out about the game. Really? So this is a perfect yeah so this is it was a it was an article back then it was called Gama Sutra now I think it's just called Game Developer. Right. But, but that I found that article heard the first track I believe it was Song of the Ancients and was oh. enamored and I I bought the game I think later that day it was it was a cult classic no but Nier Automata was nowhere close to being announced even heard of at least like press didn't know anything about it so i found this game back in i think 20 2012 2013 yeah and yeah and i saw people were were kind of upset about the graphics for some things but i was thinking this game is amazing <laughs> love it totally for i i that is a, a great example for, i that game the whole game as an experience in and of itself I love the characters. I love the story. Yes, the gameplay is a bit wonky. Yes, the graphics are not what up to what they were at the time, but mm -hmm. the whole experience and of course the music is just phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. And even when I got the game, I was thinking like, well, okay, well, this is graphics thing because I'm not a big graphics person. Right? Yeah. I just want to, is the gameplay well? Can I do this? Can I jump? Does it lag? Do I hit this? Does it, does it stutter? It, mechanics are really important because that's how you progress through the game. If you don't have good mechanics, it's not going to work. Right. But if you, I noticed the graphics thing was mostly if you zoom in really or you put the camera down on the grass and it gets yeah. blurry. Okay, big deal. Well, that's really what we're set about. <laughs> it's not that, it's not that serious. No. As long as you're having fun and enjoying the story. Yes, yes. Okay, cool. And how would you say you've heard your own sound change over the years? I would say that it's a it's it's definitely evolved through specific inspirations that come between whatever I've experienced in life or I've experienced through working with the client or that I've been introduced to in terms of references. And those three combined is really what enhances the art form of my own sound signature sound. Mm. And because I I write and I, I I'm focused on being versatile because of what I believe embodies video game music. I believe video game music is all in every genre that exists before and after. I because it's, it's possible co to conflate genres too so that's why it's not it's a it's it's a, it's almost like a meta genre of some sort and 
the sound is just it is what it's always what it always has been from what I've been told from the very first time I made it on a computer it belongs in a video game Hmm. so I believe my sound is a video game sound really then you're in the right place you're in the right industry (laughs) for sure I I believe so and I'm, I'm very happy and honored to still be here uh yeah and I mean nothing more says that you're here than when you gave the keynote speech for the Global Game Jam of last year. And I mean, that's such a momentous thing. People from around the world are hearing what you have to say to get inspired for something that, you know, really is the start of so many people's careers. And how did you, yeah, how did you come up with the right words to say for something, something that major? First, I wanted to say thank you for acknowledging that. Thank you for watching it. Thank you for just seeing and asking because I'm going to share the story with you here. I've only told the director, I believe, of Global Game Jam when I saw my GDC this year. And so I'm going to share the story with you. (laughs) My first Global Game Jam was not a good experience. I went to USC. And I I drove all the way from Moorpark, California, down to USC. I packed up for a long weekend. I had a sleeping bag. I had brought my keyboard and right. everything. And I went down with the intention to jam. And I had been told about Global Game Jam for at least a couple of years. I finally said, I'm going to do it. And I was re- really, I was rejected by people to not be on a team people had said that they already had somebody uh they are it was there early i was there for the the keynote i was there for the theme reveal and i went around till a lot of people were there and no one wanted me on their team so i went home that night and it was i was crushed i felt discriminated i felt like i didn't belong and i felt i just felt depressed really it was just really saddening to know that a bunch of people didn't want someone to make audio for their game that is like free you don't have to pay for anything just to be on there so as i went through the weekend i remember someone else said that they they just got there i think the second or third day and that if i was coming down i said well it was already there but no one said that they needed me on their team they said they had every they had somebody they said well there's people looking for an audio people on their team and some one person is doing about three games for one person and this other thing and so i was thinking oh well okay well then people may have lied to me then and that's even worse yeah so i i don't recall if i remember going back i just said well you know i could probably do it from home or or i don't i don't think i i think went back to that that location but that was the first experience of my global game jam. And I, I didn't join another until later, which was closer. I think it was in Thousand Oaks. And that was a better experience. I did get on a team. I did. I learned a new DAW and a digital audio workstation and recorded and did and had a really great experience and even had my certificate this day. And that was, that was good. And, and that was really cool. So I've only went from one to the other, but it took several years before I was going to go to do it again. And so to have the... To be asked to do that keynote, it meant a lot because all I could really remember, even though 
my second experience was good. My first one was in my mind, it was crushed. Yeah. So to come from being rejected to being accepted on the higher level of giving that, I sat for days thinking about what should I say and how should I say it? And I didn't want it to, I didn't want that story to be within this, the keynote. I wanted it to be everything that I embody within game jams that have brought me to this point in my career thus far. The reason I'm actually still working in games or able to work in games because I've never been at a studio full time to be a composer is because of game jams, one game a month, Ludum Dare. Mm-hmm. These are just a couple of jams that Metroidvania jam, Game Boy jam. These of projects have made it possible to work. And without that, I don't know where I would really be. And so I wanted to, I knew I might, I did, I wanted my personality to come through, but I really wanted the message to be have fun. This is always supposed to be about that. But also pace yourself, know what you're doing, learn from yourself and from others around it to see if it's for you. And when I realized of when I was pulling all these experiences from the game jams that I've done, that's how the keynote formulated and came together. And because I, I think it, I think I end up writing it finally as if it was mental brain busting. I ended up writing it within a couple hours in one night. Wow. And then I was able to practice it and then record it because I really wanted it to be a good message sure. for everyone around the world. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. I can relate. I've been in a number of situations where, I mean, I think the first few times when I went to a game jam, I remember getting rejected from groups. And then there was this time at my grad school where uh, we had been doing sort of mini game jams as a class. And then the final project was you have to form your own team. It was Mm. previously pre-assigned and nobody wanted to work with me. And Mm. I mean, like I got slotted in someplace at the very last second, but it was really crushing and it felt like, you know, it was all a big popularity contest. And they weren't interested in people who wanted to grow, who were, who weren't already somebody. And yeah. Yeah. That could be painful. That's, that's, and it's really disheartening too, right? That's, that's the small, slightly as, as we, you and I are in the industry, the small ugly side of it is that we, we encounter some of those mindsets, but, but the, but the uplifting side of that, right. Is like you said, and like you've acknowledged to be accepted to give a keynote yeah <laughs> local game jam right so you go from being rejected to accepted at some point right. and that's i think there's no greater revenge than success in that matter absolutely and i think that positive note is about where i i wrap up the the big questions i had for you chase <laughs> uh, unless there was anything Great. particular else you wanted to discuss in particular, no, I don't have anything particular, but I do appreciate I do appreciate the questions and I really enjoyed chatting with you and 
and having this is good good conversation. Yeah, likewise. Uh, So then I can get into my final question, which is, this is the Pixel Pizza podcast. Chase, Mm -hmm. where is your favorite pizza place? Dang, I'm going to have to say toppers. (laughs) Have you had it? No, is that in LA? Yes, it's, well, it's in Ventura County. Okay. Yeah, so if you end up going 118, you you hit CME, you hit Thousand Oaks, you hit Oxnard, where they're they're located, Ventura. They have this hot and honey, and Mm. it is is ridiculously good. It is just very, very good, very different, but it's jalapenos, it's like different cheeses different meat and then you put the honey on it and it's it's just it melts (laughs) it melts it was it was so close because i did remember thinking the other day i was like ooh, there's the climax pizza at paoli's which is in woodland hills and then there's dag woos dag woos or i think it's in santa monica dag woos was pretty good and then there's jc's which is in the valley but i'm in the valley still okay so you might be familiar with jc's But yeah, it's that that first one sounds amazing. If I'm ever over in Ventura, toppers, yeah, check it out. Toppers, yeah, just hit, get get to the closest one. I'm not sure how far in the geography in the valley you are, but just if you however 101 or 118, as soon as you're in Ventura County itself, a toppers will be within the municipal somewhere. Great, great. Well, thank you so much again for joining me, Chase. This has been awesome, real treat. Thank you for having me, Jared. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Well, welcome to have be back if you want to have me back. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, anytime. Great. Uh, and where can people keep track of you and your work? Yeah, so I'm chasebathia.com. You can find me there. I'm on Twitter with Chase Bathia. You can find and listen to some of the work. I'm on chasebathia.bandcamp and, and Tidal and Spotify. All my work is there. If you just put in my name, Chase Bethia, everything should and I know for sure will come up. Great. You, you've double checked. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> That's what you got to do for sure. Yeah. Okay. Then uh, let's say goodbye for now. We are going to head off with one more track from you. And that is called Artificial Aptitude. So listen to that, listeners, and we will see you on next week's Pixel Pizza podcast. 